Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I trust that you enjoyed our conversation with Michael Sheldon on our last program. Now, if you find a copy of his biography of George Orwell, I highly recommend it. I know I found an extra one on abebooks.com, and I think there were a bunch in there. So, so uh, they're really pretty inexpensive, too. It's under 10 bucks. So uh, you know, I think you'd really enjoy reading the whole thing. Now, the world is watching America wrestle with government breakdown, which began at the election of Donald Trump in 2016. There's been this incredible political disunity. There's been extensive lying and fabrication by government leaders and the media. There's been power grabbing exposed during the Democratic impeachment trial. There's been a lot of politicizing of the coronavirus panic. And now the BLM or Black Lives Matter protests are being led by America's young people who embraced Marxist socialism. Now, uh, just uh, uh, recently, three city blocks in one of America's most beautiful cities, Seattle, has been seized and are under the control of the protesters. Now, originally it was six city blocks, but at the uh, time of the production of this program, it's been reduced to three. Uh, I've been in Seattle. It's a beautiful city, and uh, now it's just uh, it's, uh, it's quickly starting to begin to look like a third world country. Now, what could the final picture of all this look like? And I think that is a question we should all ponder. Now, that is the reason why we've chosen to do 1984 on the radio. So to help us ponder this question for today's program, I have pulled together a men's panel to discuss book one of George Orwell's classic, 1984. Now, I personally believe George Orwell wrote this novel as instruction, but also as a warning. And even though written in the late 1940s, it is amazingly current. Now, with me in the studio today is Grant Turgeon. He's host of The Trumpet Bookshelf. And James Brandon is back with us. He's an instructor of English literature at our uh, Imperial Academy High School. So welcome back, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I thought what we ought to do, and I'm, I'm going to turn a lot of this over to you two, because why would I have guests if I don't want you to talk? <laughs> I mean, this is not about me. This is about <laughs> what you know. But, but I, think, I think the best thing that we could do is let's talk about the state of Winston's world. And again, this was written in back in the 1940s. And uh, I, I think we need to understand that. And, and I think um, as a... You know, as a writer, uh, George Orwell really does a great job of laying out for us in this book one what the world of Winston looked like. So I'm just going to open it up. Whoever speaks first gets the start. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really not too difficult to understand some of the concepts in the book because they're all just happening step by step today. The things that Winston in the book 1984 are experiencing or is experiencing, uh, it's really just uh, a, a world of hatred, just out of control, emotional 
will worship basically just whatever you feel in the moment is uh, the truth apparently everyone's alone as well there's no real meaningful relationships either within your family or at work or among even people you used to call your friends now you just call them your comrades uh, just people maybe with the same goals in mind so just a a world where you're alone and you can't really figure out what's true because it changes every day and then everyone denies that there are even any changes in the first place right right well james let me let me hear what you have to say here before i i chime in here well i think book one a lot of it really is about like you mentioned setting up this world uh this it's it's giving you the backdrop for the things that are going to happen in book two and book three where we really start to get into some of the meat of uh, Orwell's message, but I, right away, as soon as the book begins, you're introduced to this idea of of Big Brother, the idea of constant surveillance, which I think is probably one of the big things that uh, everybody associates 1984 with, kind of the, one of the big things people remember from that, or, or even if they haven't read it, one of the things that people know about it is that idea of constant surveillance. Um, technology plays a, a huge role in this book, and, and it's capabilities you're introduced pretty early on to these devices called telescreens which are um, you know these high-tech devices that are in everybody's homes that uh, is is they perform various functions they are uh, a way for the government to communicate individually uh, they are sort of spy devices within people's homes they're constantly listening to you they're constantly watching you um, basically the only time that you can get away from them is when you're lying in your bed in the dark uh, and Winston uh, perhaps foolishly assumes that uh, they can watch you, they can listen to you. The only thing that they can't do is uh, understand what's going on in your mind um, and he, he says that the only free sort of the only freedom you have is, is within your own mind and what you can think in your own mind which not to give away too much from the end of the book uh, you know, is not necessarily 100% the case. But that technology is ever-present there. And then also that book one lays out uh, kind of the the government system to an extent. Uh, the organizations, at least from the view of a sort of a worker drone like Winston Smith, where he works at, well, there's these various ministries. You've got the Ministry of Truth, which is where um, uh, Winston works. He works in the... Uh, historical records department basically and and his job is to essentially rewrite history which we'll talk about more i'm sure right. there's a ministry of peace which is essentially the army which is really about <laughs> waging war there's the ministry of love which is the the place where they re-educate slash torture uh people there's the ministry of plenty which is where they oversee the starvation of oceana <laughs> that's right so there's this very immediately this very obvious irony of the ministry uh, these ministries and these government programs, which gets into another core concept, which I'm sure we'll touch on, of this book, which is the idea of doublethink. I, I think the thing, the overview that I that I get from reading book one, is it's it's the revolution has already passed. In fact, the revolution has gone on for a long time, and uh, uh, the, the thing is, it's it's not a uh, it's not a very beautiful world. I mean, everything is run down. Uh, everything is, uh, you know, the food doesn't taste good. I mean, uh, you know, ev uh, it, it's kind of like depressing to look outside. 
it's, it's depressing to be outside. I mean, he opens the book in April where it's really cold and windy. And I mean, you get this, this, this gloomy sense of thing, sense of things. And, but, but then I think, you know, he, he talks a little bit about that, but then it's really w the gloom and doom of what the, of what the revolution has done to people's lives. And, you know, the, the thing is that I think Orwell was really on top of is, is he really knew that, that technology was going in a certain way. I mean, by, by the 1940s, I mean, when he wrote this, I think it was 1949, so the atomic bomb had already been dropped on Hiroshima. And so, so he knew, I, I think he could see there was going to be a type of Wi-Fi out there where they could, this instant communication, I mean, he knew uh, when working on the BBC, that what they were working on and trying to get all these, uh, you know, radio programs across the world, and it was shocking to him, I think, that that even the, the radio programs they were getting ready for India were going uh, thousands and millions of miles away, and people could hear what they were saying in England, and and he saw a real danger to that, and um, you know, the telescreen, I mean, that was really pretty phenomenal thinking. And I remember we didn't get our first television until till I, I was five or six. So I would have been like 1958. And so, so, you know, the BBC, I guess, where he was working, really did help develop television for, for England. So he was really concerned about all that because, um, you know, he, he, he himself was a socialist, but it was a, it was a different form of socialism. It was kind of like his own socialism where you really basically went out and just helped people. But when he was in that Spanish Civil War, he saw, uh, you know, like the communist version of socialism, and he, you know, they were fighting fascism. He was fighting for the communists, and uh, you know, the, the the thing is, socialism does destroy countries, and we have Venezuela to prove that, and we have Cuba to prove that. Yeah, what's interesting to me is, you know, we have thousands of young people out there today that want socialism. And th th essentially, where everything is going, if, if you just look at these three um, city blocks in Seattle, if you just look at the pictures of what's going on, I mean, you see garbage piled up everywhere already. I mean, they're already extorting the people that have small businesses there, saying, we'll protect you only if you give us stuff. And, uh, you know, they, they sent a, a note out <laughs> to the mayor of the city, we need porta-potties, you know, <laughs> you know. These are young people that want socialism that don't have any idea how to build a society. And, and you know, that's, that's where this is going. And I think that's, that's what he saw, you know, when he was writing this. This is where, this is where the world is going. And, um, uh, you know, communism has failed. Socialism has failed. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, some of the Western countries like America and, and Britain and Canada and, and Australia and, and uh, you know, the Jews in Jerusalem. Those governments are not perfect, but they still work a lot better than socialism. And so, so I, think, I think that this, this whole first book one, it gives us a really good view, you know, of, of what's going on. And of course, you know, they're the big three slogans in the book, war is peace, <laughs> you know, freedom is slavery and ignorance is strength. I mean, people are all caught up on slogans today. There's no content to their thinking. It's just all slogans. So I'll turn that back over to you guys again now. Yeah, I thought a lot about that one slogan there, freedom is slavery, because 
it does take a while to figure out what's even being talked about there. But a little later in book one, he's talking with his friend at lunch, and his friend is a part of putting out the latest edition of the dictionary. And all the time, they're just slashing hundreds and thousands of words from the language. And the point is, eventually, they're going to get where words don't even mean anything. You can't even comprehend a concept like freedom anymore. So freedom might as well be slavery at that point if words don't really mean anything. If you can't even understand abstract concepts at all, if you have no concept of what freedom actually is, pretty much you could just say it's slavery. Right. You know, well, well, our, well, there are people that have been kidnapped and brainwashed, and they believe what their brainwashers have told them. And so, so the, the thing is, I think we have to see that even today's news media, that's their goal. Their goal is to brainwash people. And, you know, to me, it's just shocking how you go from channel to channel and they use the same words. Like, is someone sending out the same memo? <laughs> There's all those, uh, I forget what the website is that does it, but, uh, the, you know, they are. They're, they're operating off a script. And it's both sides because you can pull, you know, Sinclair Media is a, a sort of the conservative side. They're a big media group that controls a lot of the local news stations, and they're a conservative news group, and they send scripts out too, and you can look at compilations of that. So it's, it's on both sides of the political aisle. It's scripted and uh, you know one thing about going back to technology and those telescreens you know obviously one of their functions was to be televisions that the people couldn't turn them off and during the day if there weren't announcements or government mandated exercise videos or something else playing what it was playing was a non-stop news non-stop propaganda non-stop reading of you know, the statistics and we're 98% above a predicted output in this particular area. We've exceeded bootlace production by 75% this quarter, you know, just all that stuff running nonstop. And I just couldn't help but think about like the cable news, you know, the 24 hour news cycle, just never ending. I, I did some work in, in somebody's house one time and they just had the TV on with cable news in the background. And it, I had to, I could, that's what I thought of when I read this in 1984. It was just that, that constant drone in the background of just never-ending news. Yeah. <laughs> when know? I was, yeah. Excuse me. When I was preparing the program today, there was one flash came across. And the news flash for the second was, and it's it's all of the Republican states are now, they're now spiking again in coronavirus because you know we haven't been following you know because we opened up the states and here in Oklahoma there hasn't been a rise there hasn't been a rise recently and so but but all the states you know where they had this massive protest there's no news about them and and the point could be that it's rising there you know the coronavirus but we, but we don't I don't know that but anyway it's it's a you're only going to get one side. Well, we have to keep going here. We're never going to get anywhere. So, so I, I think that the, the one thing I'd like to talk about, and uh, is is uh, very early on in this in book one, they they have this whole scenario of the two minutes of hate. <laughs> so, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, that was just amazing. They they get all this all these resources together. They they save up for these big. Uh, big displays of their hatred and things like that, or they they all sit down in front of this screen, and this enemy of the people 
is played on the screen. And it's amazing because every time it happens, Winston's like, oh, well, here we go again. Now everyone's just going to start screaming uncontrollably at the screen. And about 30 seconds in, he can't stop himself from joining right. in. There's so much emotional hysteria around him that he, he can't even help himself anymore. And he starts screaming. He starts kicking. And he, he's not even in control of his body or his thoughts or his voice anymore. Uh, and that just shows you how powerful of an emotion that hatred is, how dangerous right. that can be if we don't really control it. Right. I mean, it, go ahead, Jamie. Sorry. I was going to say it's, it's interesting to note, too, that that's those might seem like crazy descriptions, fictionalized descriptions, but hate the two minutes of hate and the hate week, Orwell clearly based those on uh, propaganda programs from Stalinist Russia. There right. was hate week as a direct parallel to uh, their celebrations for the October Revolution. And then the, the two minutes of hate, uh, they would do, you know, little propaganda videos like that. There's even one uh, scene in particular from 1984 where they have this image of this uh, a propaganda video that they show during a two minutes of hate uh, of uh, Goldstein, this rebellion leader that they all direct their hate towards, transforming into a sheep, I believe. And there's a direct parallel with uh, Stalin put out a, a video of uh, Trotsky, I believe, turning into a goat. You know, <laughs> So Orwell was making really clear reference to someone who was up on this history. This, this was present day to someone who knew a lot of these little details of things that had happened in Stalinist Russia and, and in that communist regime, they would have gotten these references. Right. They would have been really obvious that this was, you know, he was making a political reference there. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I don't think you would see this as a stretch, but I feel like we have two minutes of hate every night and it's all directed at Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, he's like the new Goldstein. You know, it, it's like no matter what happens in this world, it's Donald Trump's fault. But the thing that's so dangerous about that is spread all over the world. I mean, you have you hear reports from Germany, people saying that. You hear reports from from England, people are saying, "Well, this is all Donald Trump's fault." <laughs> you know, and uh, then even the Chinese, who are the commies, are saying it's all Donald Trump's fault. <laughs> you know, he's the one that spread the coronavirus. But, but, you know, the, uh, unfortunately, there are people out there that are hearing this. They believe it. And, and uh, you know, what we've seen displayed, I think, in, the, in, in all of the, the uh, people want to call it protests, but in all the riots, and they have been violent riots, that's the, that's the two minutes of hate. It, that, that's what's generated, but it's not stopping. And, uh, you know, you, you don't want to be pessimistic, but if President Trump, you know, gets reelected, I mean, it's really going to come unglued. And it is interesting because I think it, Orwell uses it in 1984 to illustrate something. But I think that we also see it illustrated in our society, like you've mentioned, that the the two minutes of hate, this kind of and and like Mr. Turgeon said, that that mass hysteria, just that unbridled emotion. It eliminates the need for rational discussion. It eliminates the need for logic. And that even ties in with uh, what we've briefly mentioned about language and dumbing down language and right. removing the ability to have rational, logical discussions. It's no longer a question of, okay, let's sit down and examine the pros and cons of both sides. Let's see where 
there really is wrong that's done on one side and there really is wrong that's done on the other side and there's also good that's on the other side and there's good that's on the other side where can we come to uh some sort of compromise it's gone beyond that and it's just it's it's black or white you're either with us or you're against us and if you're not with us we hate you and we're going to shout you down and it's whichever side can shout louder uh is the side that wins and gains the most converts and it's just it's a dumbing down of intellect in a way it removes that need for rational discourse right well let's let's uh, move on now a little bit let's talk about i i think it's kind of fascinating the way he uh crafts the character Winston Smith and his diary. He starts, you know, keeping a diary. He's absolutely, absolutely terrified to start a diary. So, so I'll, I'll let you guys talk about that because, because I've had, uh, I've had my own opinions on that. Well, that was a really fascinating part of it because Winston was saying that even the thought of buying a diary alone was bad, but then the fact that he walked to the store to buy it was even worse. Then when he bought it. That was even worse. Then when he brought it back was even worse. And then when he opens it is worse. And then when he writes in it, I mean, all of it, he was dead because just the fact that he thought about writing his thoughts down in the first place, he was going to be in big trouble with the thought police eventually. I thought that was really a fascinating way of, of pointing out how a socialist or communist society uh, works, um, just that it's dangerous to even think for yourself. It's dangerous to try to articulate your thoughts and, and how much trouble you can get into and how he, you even have to try to hide your facial expressions. There's so many times in the book where it describes Winston as being absolutely terrified, but he can't show it on his face. He can't really smile very much or disagree with anyone because at any time he could get turned into the thought police. Right, it would be face tortured. crime. He yeah. calls it face crime. Even face crime, <laughs> which betrays your thought crime, which right. is why you can't that's how you can't hide what's really in your mind. But also, George Orwell talked about how in that, in that society, there wasn't really a law against writing your thoughts down, but you're still going to die for it. Yeah, there's, there's no, no laws. laws but there's no still, laws at all. You're right. still more restricted, and you have no freedom whatsoever un under a system of no laws. Right. But the thing is, there were laws, but it's, it's by those who are in control. Whatever they think. Right, right. I Whatever was, they think is bad. Yeah, I was just with my, my uh, grandson is visiting, and we were out in the swimming pool, and he was saying, oh, let's play this game of it. And then so, so I said, okay, what are the rules? Well, there was just three until he was losing. Then there becomes four, <laughs> and then there was five, and then there was six. And guess who was losing? Granddad. Granddad, you're losing. You, you change it halfway through. Right. <laughs> I said, man, I told my daughter, wow, they changed the rules. She says, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the little <laughs> communists are what they are. <laughs> you know, so, so, so anyway, but 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 you know, it, it's interesting that he wants to write this by you know he 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 wants to write this, um, I guess autobiography of himself, but he wants to do it for the future, but but he says he's so depressed he's so depressed about the present that he says, will anyone even be interested in reading it in the future? But but I think he's trying to do what Orwell did. He wants to try and warn people about what what was happening when he was alive, you know. So so to me, um, you know, when when you see all these people out there, and these are young people that have not, 
you know, fought in World War II. They haven't fought in World War I. They haven't built society. They haven't struggled to build cities. They're tearing down every part of history they can think of. And, and they're even, you know, defacing the statue of an abolitionist because they thought he was into slavery. And the thing is, they don't know their history anyway. And so, so they, they uh, it, it, I think it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like a new speak. It's, it's uh, you know, cancel culture. That's yeah. what they're into. And without history, like Winston is, is always saying how alone he feels because he has memories from childhood that he's not even sure are real anymore because all the history from that time period has been completely erased. He can't corroborate any of his memories with the history books. So then you're just completely all alone in the universe, and then your life loses meaning without that historical context. Right. There's right. a quote from the book that I think just reinforces that fact with a really memorable phrase from it. Uh, this is, it's page 128 in my book, but Winston says, every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book has been rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street and building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And that process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. Well, let's, uh, let's think about that, but let's, uh, let's get ready to talk about Winston, uh, Winston Smith's job in our next program. So that's all the time we have for today's program. But next time, we'll continue our discussion of the world of Winston Smith from the famous classic 1984 by George Orwell. Now, this first selection of our summer series has some eye-opening instruction as to what is happening right now in Western world governments and on your nightly news. So now you can buy 1984 at Amazon.com. You can find the used copy of the book at abebooks.com. And, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.